0: Our sermon series this Lent at Kenilworth Union Church is called A Wideness in God's Mercy. It's based on that hymn, that closing hymn we'll sing in just a few moments. We're talking about God's mercy and grace to the human family and our mutual forgiveness of each other within the human family. And this passage from the Gospel according to St. Matthew in chapter 5, this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he says, "'You have heard that it was said, "'You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy.'" But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For God makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. God sends God's rain on the just and on the unjust alike. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than they than they Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So, I'm glad you're among the few and the brave who have stayed in town this week to think with me about what forgiveness means I'd like to talk with you for a minute about what forgiveness is, and then say a couple of things about what forgiveness is not. When I was a seminary intern, I taught a fifth grade Sunday school class, and it was my practice to have the kids recite publicly the scripture passage we were reading that morning. But there was one young lady in my class who was famous for transposing her letters, And her mother took me aside and said, please don't let Brenda read publicly. She's likely, if you have her read Psalm 46, for instance, she is likely to read, Dog is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And I said, well, what's wrong with that? That's true. Dog is a very present help in time of trouble. But I capitulated. And one Sunday morning we were looking at the passage I just read, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I asked the kids what Jesus would want us to do if the class bully deliberately tripped us on the playground. And Brenda raised her hand and she said, Jesus would want us to practice give forness. She was a wise dyslexic. It's about the best explanation of what forgiveness means that I've ever heard it's give forness. That's the etymology, right, from the old Dutch, the old English. It means to give for. It means to give something up to get something better. It means to forsake, forsake the retribution justice demands. So a man is unfaithful to his wife. It was a one-time thing. He was on a business trip or something. He adores his wife, but he spends a few nights at the Comfort Inn. They go to the therapist many times. He begs her to forgive him. Finally, she does. I forgive you. What's the subtext of those three simple words? She means, I forfeit my rightful claim upon retribution and anger. I will not let this come between us ever again. I love you. I value our relationship more than I value my bitterness. Give forness So that's what forgiveness is. Now what's forgiveness not? First of all, it's not fair, right? Forgiveness does not belong in a just world. Justice or fairness is not the ultimate object in Jesus' world. This is not a debit credit world that Jesus lives in. In Jesus' world, the books are kept by an inept CPA. So in this world, in our world, we rejoice when justice is done, right? In New Jersey a while back, a man got his fourth driving-under-the-influence offense. Fourth one. Second in 11 days. And the judge just threw the book at him. A year in jail, a $4,000 fine, five years probation, and get this, 24 years without a driver's license. The guy was about 40 years old. He might be able to drive the car for the first time to pick up his first Social Security check. And I remember my gut-level reaction to that sentence. Hallelujah, I said to myself. All the rest of us are safe around the streets. Our world is a zero-tolerance world. Bring a gun to school and you get expelled. No questions, no excuses, no second chances. No second chances for priests who abuse children. No more shuffling pedophiles around from parish to parish. No second chances. We can't afford mercy. People get hurt. So that's the first thing forgiveness is not. It's not fair. That's not the ultimate object of Jesus' world. The second thing forgiveness is not is excusing, right? There's a difference between forgiving someone and excusing someone. Forgiving does not mean that you ignore the wrong or try to understand it. C.S. Lewis says, take it first about God's forgiveness. I find that when I think I am asking God to forgive me, I am often in reality, unless I watch myself very carefully, asking God to excuse me. Forgiveness says, yes, you have done this thing, but I accept your apology. This will not come between us ever again. But excusing says, I see that you couldn't help it or didn't mean it you weren't really to blame if one was not really to blame then there's nothing to forgive right forgiving is also not forgetting we say it all the time forget forgive and forget but i'm not sure we mean that you can't forgive something you've forgotten right if you've forgotten it it's gone from your brain it's just gone there's nothing left to forgive Or, if forgiving is a special kind of forgetting, then it's like this. You know who Clara Barton is, right? Clara Barton was a clerk in the patent office in Washington, D.C. in the 1850s until she got fired for her anti-slavery opinions. And then she returned to the district in 1861 and began tending to the wounded Union soldiers streaming into the district from the battlefields, and then she went out to the battlefields to care for them. At the Battle of Antietam, surgeons were using corn husks for bandages until Clara arrived with three wagon loads full of medical supplies. She later founded the American Red Cross in 1881. Someone came up to Miss Barton one day and reminded Clara of a wrong done to Clara by a mutual friend, and Clara looked puzzled and the other friend reminded her about this thing and the friend said don't you remember and miss barton said no i distinctly remember forgetting that (laughs) it's a special kind of forgetting so it's not fair it's not excusing it's not forgetting what it is is integral to our life together as a human community we cannot live unless we forgive We cannot live unless we are forgiven. Last month, Brett Stevens published a column in the Times with this title, Why Governor Northam Should Not Resign. Remember Governor Northam of Virginia, blackface comedian from his medical school yearbook? And I kind of winced when I read that title because at the time I thought he should resign. But then Mr. Stevens persuaded me. He asked, have you ever told or laughed at An ethnic joke? Have you ever said, that's so gay, when something turned out to be not the way you wanted it to be? Have you ever made ugly generalizations based on ethnic stereotypes? And then Mr. Stevens says, our worst moments and our dumbest utterances shouldn't define us. We deserve to be judged by the decency of our intentions and the totality of our deeds. We are entitled to a presumption of innocence, a measure of forgiveness, and multiple opportunities for redemption. Multiple opportunities for redemption. You know, George W. Bush had a kind of a wild and crazy youth. He defended himself by saying, when I was young and irresponsible, I was young and irresponsible. Multiple opportunities for redemption. You remember what Annie Lamott says, right? That crazy Presbyterian from the West Coast refusing to forgive is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. The terrorism in Christchurch, New Zealand brought back to my mind terrible memories of something similar that happened in the United States in 2015 at Emanuel AME Church in Charleston when nine African-Americans were gunned down. Dylan Roof brought into that Bible study a 45 Glock and eight clips of ammunition. That eight is important because he wanted to have exactly 88 bullets. 88 is white supremacist shorthand for Adolf Hitler. The police retrieved 77 bullets from the scene of the crime. 54 of them were in the bodies of the victim victims including eight in the body of Myra Thompson. And when her husband Anthony explained how why he decided to forgive Dylan Roof, he said it wasn't for Dylan Roof's sake but for his own. When I forgave him, he said, my peace began. I'm done with him, I'm free, he has no control over me. Mother Emanuel Church is about 400 yards from the John C. Calhoun monument. John C. Calhoun, unflagging defender of slavery, father of Southern secession. This monument is 80 feet high. The church is seven blocks away from a museum honoring the Confederacy. I'll bet Mr. Thompson is willing to forgive all of white America. Greg Boyle spoke in Chicago a while back. A bunch of us went to go hear him speak in the city. I'm so delighted to learn that many of you admire Greg Boyle as much as I do. Long time ago, Greg Boyle was the parish priest at the Dolores Mission Church in Los Angeles. At the time, it was the poorest church in the city, surrounded by huge public housing projects and intense gang activity, the most intense gang activity in the city. And so Mr. Boyle and his associates decided to start this organization called Homeboy Industries. Have you ever heard of Homeboy Industries? Do you get it? It's for the homies, the gang members who are looking for an exit ramp. And so at Homeboy Industries, they have a bakery and a cafe. They make T-shirts. They sell books. They give jobs to former gang members. Mostly they do tattoo removal. And Father Greg says that he gave this one young woman a job who had alarming tattoos, award-winning tattoos, all over her face. She was fresh out of prison, and Father Greg gives her a job running the silkscreen in the t-shirt department. First day on the job, she gets in a fight. Second day on the job, she comes high on marijuana. Third day on the job, she arrives at work in a car full of her homies. Father Greg said, this is against our rules, and oh, the car was stolen. This is against, well, everybody's rules. I suppose we could have fired her, he says. And yet, we decided with all the no matter whatness we could muster that she would give up on us before we gave up on her. And give up she did, she just stopped showing up. We'll be ready for her when she decides to return. He says, You stand with the least likely to succeed until success is succeeded by something more valuable kinship. You stand with the belligerent, the surly, and the badly behaved until the bad behavior is recognized for what it is, the vocabulary of the deeply wounded and of those whose burdens are more than they can bear. Father Greg says there's no question that everybody at Homeboy Industries would be fired anywhere else including me, just ask my board. But our job is to see in the homies what they can't see in themselves until they do. I love the way he puts that. No matter whatness. How much no matter whatness can you muster for those who have made a mistake? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.